Well, good morning again. I tell you, I hope that our joy is not based upon what the weather looks like, right? Um, it's raining outside. It, like Chris said, that it's sort of a gloomy day today. But we are kicking off a new series that we've entitled Joyful. Yes, joyful. This is something that everyone wants. And businesses know that as well. That's why most of the commercials that you see, they're offering the same product. It's joy. You know, if you want joy, sleep on this mattress. If you want joy, you know, wear these sneakers. If you want joy, purchase this vehicle. They're all selling the same thing. Even Preparation H is now selling joy. I don't know if you saw the recent commercials. There's a guy sitting in the seat, and he's squirming in his seat. He has this frown on his face. And then once he takes his Preparation H, his face is filled with joy. And their new motto is now, let's talk about it. And I'm like, no, I don't think I want to talk about it, right? That's not something I want to talk about. But joy is something that everyone is looking for. Corporations promise it, but can they really deliver on providing us with joy? You know, the kind of joy that God or the kind of feeling that God wants to give us is not what's being offered at the car dealership. It's not what's being offered at your shopping mall. God is not uh, interested in giving you these temporary smiles or giving you happiness that sort of melts under the pressures or the heat of, uh, of struggles. Instead, God wants, us get, wants to give us this long-lasting, deep hope in our heart that's able to withstand any circumstances that we go through. Yeah, God wants us to experience joy. There's a difference between joy and happiness. I hope you understand that happiness or being happy is all dependent upon certain happenings, right? So I'm happy about what's happening in the NFC East in football, right? Right? Uh, yeah, I'm happy about the NFC East standings right now. Makes me feel good. But if, I, if my joy lied in the NFC East standing, I'm probably looking forward to some disappointment, Right? They're not going to continue winning. At one point, they probably will lose a game. But that's not what joy is. Joy is lasting. The book of Philippians is arguably the most joyful book in the Bible. It's joyful because the letter includes 19 times the word joy. In only four chapters, every chapter of the book of Philippians has either the word joy or rejoice in it. So over the next couple of weeks, actually several weeks, we're going to take our time and go verse by verse through this letter that we call Philippians. We're going to start at verse one. Today, I want to share with you two attributes that you can hold on to to help maintain your joy. So do you have joy today? Are you filled with joy? And how do you maintain that joy? Well, we're going to answer the question today, but let's begin first with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the joy that you give us. God, help us to open up our eyes, our hearts, and our minds so that we might clearly understand the word that you have for us today. 
God, help us to walk verse by verse through a book of the Bible that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write over 2,000 years ago. Help this letter be a letter to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's start out with chapter 1, verse 1. So if you have your electronic devices or Bibles, pull it out now. If you're home right now, you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and pull that out. We're going to start right at the beginning of this book of Philippians. This message today I, uh, I've entitled, Choose Joy. Choose joy because you're going to see that joy is something that you actually have to make a decision about. And so today I want you to choose it. Look at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul opens this letter up introducing himself and Timothy, but really there is no need for an introduction. This is really a long-standing relationship that he's had with this church. This church is filled with love. It's consistently personal, and it's also positive. The Apostle Paul is not addressing any major problem in the church. There's no heresy that he's talking about. And when he begins to give some advice, it really is a warning of a precautionary measure. In chapter 4, you'll see that there's two ladies that seem to be in disagreement about something. And so he mentions the, the importance of having unity. But there's no rebuke in this letter when he writes to the church at Philippi. See, the Apostle Paul inspired... I mean, God inspired the Apostle Paul to write this letter, and when he does, it's personal. Because God inspired him to do this, this letter is written to us. It's been preserved for us. So when we interpret this particular letter, we can start out by reading it by saying, to all the saints at Central Church, including the overseers and the deacons. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter while he's in house arrest in Rome. He is awaiting his opportunity to stand before Caesar and argue his case. We find this in Acts chapter 28, that he's in house arrest. And he now begins to write these letters that we call the Pauline epistles, Philippians, Philemon, Ephesians, and Colossians. He writes these letters being in confinement. And when he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, he's remembering that this was a church that he planted himself about 11 years prior to writing this letter. So he's fondly thinking about this church, and he remembers that this was the first church that he plants on what we now know is the European sort of continent. It's on his second missionary journey that he's plants this church, and he's thinking about it, and he's thinking fondly of this congregation. Look at verse, um, verse 3. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my, in, in my every prayer, 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Wow. The words here is rooted in a deep friendship. Some of you might have friends like that where time and distance has separated you. And then when you get on the phone with them or maybe you get to see them face to face, you sort of pick up right where you left off. Because the experiences, the history that you had with these people have knit your heartstrings together. So this conversation that you have with them is authentic. It's, it's not superficial. And it's filled with love. And here we see that the Apostle Paul opens up his letter with joy and love. You would probably think that he is uh, sort of sitting on the beach of Venice sipping on a drink, waiting for a sandwich or something. It's, it opens up so beautifully. But he's incarcerated, and he's waiting on a trial that might lead to his execution. But the Apostle Paul is still filled with joy when he writes this letter. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. The Apostle Paul had fond memories of being with this church at Philippi. They gave to him when he was present with them, and they continued to give to him even when he was a distance away. And the Apostle Paul is now reflecting on his experiences that he had with this church, and he focuses on the blessings and not on the pain. I say pain because when you really understand what happened in Philippi, you know that everything wasn't hunky, wasn't, wasn't exciting. Everything wasn't great. We find the story back in Acts chapter 16. Matter of fact, nothing seemed to go as planned. In Acts chapter 16, we find that the Apostle Paul is leaving Lystra. He's on his way to Asia Minor, going east, and God impresses upon him in a dream that he needs to go to Macedonia. So Paul's like, okay, now I'm getting off track in his mind. And he begins to go to Macedonia. He goes to this city called Philippi. When he gets there, he thinks he's going to go and do what he typically does, go to the synagogue and begin to minister. He would go to the Jewish synagogue because they would be reading the Old Testament Torah, and he would be able to talk to them about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So he gets to Philippi, and there is no synagogue at all. There's no place of worship, but he hears that there's these women who are down by the riverside reading the Torah and studying. So he goes to the riverside, and there he shares the good news. Some of those women trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He begins to start his ministry, and then there's this demon-possessed slave girl that is really disruptive to the ministry. But by the power of God, he frees her from this spiritual and uh, physical bondage that she's in. Her slave master is upset, so much so that he drags the Apostle Paul in the streets. He sort of rouses up this angry mob, Paul stripped naked and beaten with rods. He's then thrown into prison, and later he's actually forced to, to leave the town. But the Apostle Paul opens up saying, man, when I remember you all, man, I'm so thankful and I'm blessed at the thought of you. You think, man, what is he talking about? But the Apostle Paul chooses to not focus on what God brought him to, but how God brought him through that situation. See, instead of complaining about 
God changing his plans, he's actually thankful that God redirected him and gave him a detour. Instead of complaining about not having a synagogue when he got there, he celebrates the fact that he was able to have this Riverside worship service. And, and this lady and, and many other people got saved and the gospel continued to flourish. He's not complaining or moaning about his public flogging, but he's reflecting upon this girl who was saved and was given her freedom. He's not complaining about being dragged through the streets, but instead he's remembering the sweet fellowship that he had at one of the ladies' house named Lydia. Yeah. He's focusing on the positive things that happen and not those negative things. Uh, so in order to maintain your joy, here's sort of the first point, and there's only two, is choose joyful gratitude. Choose joyful gratitude. See, Paul says, when I remember you, he's thinking about the experiences that he had with this church, and he begins to focus on the blessings and not the pain. Oftentimes, as we look over our shoulders and we think about our past experiences, there's some struggles there, but there's usually thousands of blessings. But we sometimes get stuck in thinking about the struggles and the pain. And what God really wants us to do is begin to sort of trace his fingerprint in all of those circumstances. And when we do that, we begin to really thank God and glorify him for his presence in the midst of it. I know when I think about my own experiences being at different churches that I used to be a member of, I can tell you that, you know, they weren't perfect. Matter of fact, I've never been to a perfect church. Uh, but the church that I went to, they certainly had some dysfunction. Think about maybe the, some of the churches that you've gone to. There's probably some dysfunction there, but even in spite of the dis dysfunction, people were still getting saved. God still was working through that ministry. People were still getting delivered from some of the bondage that they were in. And I can focus to think on the negative, or I can think about those positive things. See, it's important that you move beyond sometimes church hurt that you may have experienced. I've heard people say, man, I... I went to this church and this happened to me and I'm never going to go to church again. I'm like, no, that's not the, the right approach because what that's going to do is going to begin to chip away at your present and future joy. See, there's an old saying, your attitude will determine your altitude, right? So being stuck in the past is going to really make it difficult for you to step into the future, right? With a positive attitude. And even people that you surround make a difference. People that you know are stuck in the past of the, the problems of the past, you almost have to tell them, listen, why don't you get some counseling for that? You need some professional counseling because really what happens is that they can become toxic. All of us know there's people in our lives that we talk to and they kind of keep going back to that one situation. Remember this and I can't believe it. It's like, no, let it go. Let it go so you can experience the joy that God has for you today and into tomorrow. You know, having a sour face is not a Christian virtue. It's not. We need to be people filled with joy. I read a story of a man who is 78 years old. His name is Jerry, and he has a wife named Ginger. They continue to go uh, to church on a regular basis. His wife had uh, Parkinson's disease. And because of that, she, he, she needed constant care. So what 
was supposed to be the golden years of their life was marred with hospital visits, medications, and a lot of pain. But when people spoke to Jerry at the church, he was always laughing. He was always filled with joy. He was also telling jokes, and, and people loved to be around him. And one of the people uh, or the congregants in the church asked a question, hey, what's your secret? How do you do this? And he said, well, I'm glad you asked. He said, I get up every morning with my wife. We eat breakfast, and we sing a hymn together. And I asked her, well, what, what do you want to sing? And he says, nine times out of 10, she, she usually wants to sing the same song. And that is a hymn that says, count your many blessings. And in that hymn, there's a lyric that says, name them one by one. And so as they sing this hymn, they get to that moment where it says, name them one by one. They stop and they begin counting their blessings. They begin talking about how God has been a blessing to them. He said, before we even finish the song, we're worshiping and praising God for all the many blessings that he had given us. He then goes on to explain that just by praising God and being grateful brings about more relief from the pain and anxiety than any medication that she was taking. It's having this this joyful gratitude that helped them experience that joy and maintain that joy. Remember that sorrow sort of thrives in the Petri dish of the if only. Some of us get stuck in the if onlys, and that's where our sorrow lies, and we can't move into experiencing joy. If only I had done this. If only this person had done that. If only this person had stepped up. Sorrow grows in the Petri dish of if only. God wants us to focus on the blessings on the, and being grateful for what he's blessed us with so we can continue to move on. It's a choice. Choose joy. Choose joyful gratitude. Let's keep moving on in verse 6. Verse 6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love this passage. I actually memorized it in the King James Version. What you see here is the Christian Standard Bible. And in the King James Version, instead of saying, I am sure of this, he says, being confident of this. I like that. Being confident of this, that he that began a good work in you will accomplish it until the day of the Lord Jesus. They mean the same thing, being sure, being confident in this. And he says, he that began. What is the began? When he's writing to the church at Philippi, he wants them to remember that God began this work in them. And that work starts out with salvation. And he wants them to remember the time that he met them at the riverside. And he has this Bible lesson with these ladies. And during that time, it was God who began this work in them. We see this in Acts chapter 16. I'll just tell you, have, you, uh, have you take a look at it real quick. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 14. He says, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. See, it was the Lord that began this good work 
in Philippi. It was the Lord that opened up Lydia's heart to the gospel. It was the Lord that opened up her family's hearts and the Philippian jailer's heart. When you read this, his heart to the gospel message, it was the Lord that began a good work in you and saved you. The Lord started this work, and that's a comforting thing because once God started this work in your heart, you then became sons and daughters of the Most High. And the Apostle Paul wants to remind the church in Philippi that guess what? God started this work in you. Look at what he says again. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it in on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is progressive. He starts off first talking about their salvation, the fact that they believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, rose three days later. That's the salvation. That's the good work. And then he moves into this completion, uh, this thing that needs to get completed that they continue to grow in. All right. This is something that is carried on over time. It's progressive. That is the sanctification process that God takes us through. See, what God does is he begins to work first in our heart. He begins to transform our heart so that it might transform our minds so that our conduct and our character starts to reflect him. And then when that happens, we begin to do good works to ultimately glorify our father, right? So we begin to use these gifts and abilities so that everything that we do glorifies him and advances his kingdom. It's a beautiful thing here that we see, but he doesn't stop with the sanctification process. He says, look, he began this work, but he also finishes the work because he says this is going to happen until the day of the Lord Jesus. Well, what he's talking about is when he returns, we're going to receive this glorified body. And that means that we'll go through experience this glorification process. Notice that it's God who is doing all of this. God is the author and finisher of our faith. Yeah. When you really look at this, you can see that he gives us salvation. He's the one who takes us through the sanctification process, and he's the one that will ultimately ensure that we are glorified. He finishes what he starts. He started something in you, and he will finish it. Think about the many projects that you might have been working on. I'm sure that there may be a project that you're halfway through and you've been looking at it like, okay, I've got to finish this painting. Maybe there's something in your basement that you haven't finished or some landscaping project that you want to get to, but you just haven't had the time. If you're online right now, just type in there if you have the courage to type in the project that you have been working on that you stopped. What is it that you've been working on that you haven't brought to completion? There's a good chance that there's one of three reasons why you haven't brought that project to completion. One, you may not have the means, meaning you just financially may not have the money necessary to finish the project. Uh, two, you might ha not have the might, meaning you don't have the physical strength. You need to get some other people involved to help you finish that project. Uh, or perhaps you don't have the, the mental capacity. You don't know what you're doing. And you're like, I'm stuck. I don't know how to do this electrical work. I need to probably get somebody to, like a real electrician to help me do this before I shock and kill myself, right? So there's projects that you've got that you haven't finished because of that. I'd even say the final thing is that you don't have the minutes or the time necessary. Sometimes we get so busy doing other things, we are not able to finish that project. But when God starts something in us, 
He has everything necessary to complete this in you. He has what's necessary. He has the means. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? He has the power. It is Jesus before he ascends into heaven. What does Jesus say? He says, he says right there, he says, all power in heaven and earth and earth has been given unto me. And he also has the minutes. God is eternal. Jesus is eternal. He holds time in his hand and he is not bound by it. So God has everything he needs to ensure that whatever he started in you, that he can finish it. He's going to finish his work in you because he has the means, he has the might, and he also has the minutes and the time to make sure that that happens. See, God, everything, everything that God has given you, he's going to give it to you in time so that you can complete the task that he set before you. See, Paul's confidence is not really in himself at all. And he's telling them, listen, don't be confident in you, but be confident in him. See, that's where our confidence should be. See, we need to choose joyful confidence. And the confidence that I'm talking about is the confidence in him. God wants us to walk, not with a prideful confidence in ourselves, but he wants to walk in a confidence in him that God is able to complete all that he starts. See, sometimes our joy collapses under the weight of issues or unmet expectations. Our joy collapses under those unmet expectations, and then we want to throw in the towel because we start reflecting on things that maybe we haven't done so well. And we think, man, I... I kind of blew it that time, and so maybe God's done with me. But that's not the case at all. God's still working in and through you. And God wants us to have confidence, not in ourselves, but what he's able to do through us. That means that ultimately God's economy doesn't waste anything, right? Even your failures and some of the problems that you've experienced, God's like, you know, I, I can work that. I got a plan for that. I want to encourage you, but don't focus on your works, but focus on my works because I'm the one that's going to be able to help you kind of get through that next step. So what is your confidence in? What is your confidence in? This is not a question of how much confidence you have. It's where does your confidence lay? Is it in a pill? Is it in a person? Is it in a possession? Is it in a position? If it is, I can tell you, you're setting yourself up for disappointment because God wants our confidence to be in him. That's what our confidence should be in. Some of you all might know that the Ewing Community Center had a major fire over the weekend. I don't know if you saw that. Um, major fire. Um, lots of damage. Uh, Ted, one of our members, he texted me a picture, and I mean, the whole thing was, was up in flames. And I immediately thought to myself, I wonder if they had all those documents saved, maybe saved in the cloud somewhere. Most, most people do that now. I know I struggle with saving things in the cloud. Maybe you're like that. Huh? I'm just so used to having a hard drive that I can see when I save my documents. I see it is right there and I have my laptop. It's tangible. I can hold it. And so I'm afraid to save stuff in the cloud. But over 92% of corporations use some type of cloud-based uh, 
uh, software or setup so that they can save documents. Over 50% of individuals, that means more than half of you probably have an internet secured cloud-based storage process in whatever you do, where you're saving documents on the internet. And that's because you trust that it works. It's your documents are going to be secure. What is important to you is safe. And I really do believe that many of us need to have that same confidence in Jesus. To, to believe that our future is safe in him, even though I can't see him. To believe that my hope is secure in him, even though I can't touch him. To believe that ultimately my assignment will be completed because he has control of it. He's the one who's holding on to it, and he's the one who's going to bring it into fruition. Yeah, that's the kind of trust and faith that we have to have because when we're trusting in him and his abilities, we'll be able to move forward. So in him, our future is safe. In him, our hope is secure. In him, our joy is full because we're trusting in him. You'll probably reach a moment in your life, if you haven't already, where your body is not coming through for you, not quite working out the way you thought. There'll be a time where maybe your material wealth is not going to cover everything. You may not even be able to rely on your own intellect. But God does not change. And he always has what you need to kind of make it through. So our confidence is in him, which means that we're going to be all right. Right? We need to sometimes get up in the morning and say, you know what? I'm born to finish well. Yeah. I'm born to finish well because of what Christ has already done for me. So wherever we are, individually and collectively, you know, Central's future is safe. Central's hope is secure. Central is filled with joy, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has started and what he will continue to do in and through this ministry. And that's because of the gospel. Look back at verse five again. Look at what he says. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This word partnership is the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. And he's saying that we are all now a part of, even though he's in Rome and they're in Philip, he's like, we're all now part of this fellowship as brothers and sisters, sons and daughters in Christ. Just think, it's, this was written over 2,000 years ago. But this is a joint posh, uh, uh, partnership that continues today. It hasn't changed. See, the methods might change, but the message hasn't changed at all. We're partnered together because of the gospel. Still hasn't changed because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. See, Jesus is the perfect example of, of how to live this out. Jesus came to do some good works. And his good work was to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. And what does Jesus do? He comes for us. He completes his assignment. And even when he hung on the cross, he wanted to make sure that we knew that, yeah, he finished well because he says it is finished. And when he says it is finished, he knew he had died for your sins. And based on faith in his works and not our own, that we can be confident in this very thing. 
that he that began a good work in you will, will complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, if you have any questions about it, on the third day, I got up with, three, uh, got up with all power in a glorified body. And so you can trust that this will, in fact, happen. Trust in me, and you'll have confidence that he'll see us through. But John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, real joy is a choice. It's a choice to accept him or reject him. Real joy for believers is a choice. We can be grateful and have this joyful gratitude about how God has brought us through, or we can struggle. It's a choice. God wants us to be confident in ourselves. Uh, I mean, we sometimes can think that we can be confident in ourselves, in our job, and these other things, or we can choose to be confident in Christ. Be confident in his works and all that he has done for us. So do you have joy? And how are you able to maintain this joy? It's by just trusting in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for this letter that was written to the church in Philippi and also written to us. God, we thank you, Lord, because in this letter we find that we can be confident that we are going to finish well. Lord, there may be somebody here that may not have a personal relationship with you. And they're, they're struggling. They're not experiencing the joy that only comes from you. God, we ask that you would just begin to impress upon their heart. We ask that you would begin to work on their heart just as you worked on the heart of Lydia. Open up their heart so that they can trust and have faith in you. And if they just trust that everything that you did is for them, God, that they would have a personal relationship and they would step into a life filled with joy. God, we ask that you would just move on their hearts right now and we'll be faithful to give you the praise, glory, and honor. God, touch us, each of us, individually and collectively, so that we might be confident that the work that you began in us will be completed until the day of the Lord Jesus. God, we ask this in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're here today, I just want to invite you to, after the end of the service, to come up and and speak to me if you've trusted Jesus Christ, if the Lord is opening up your heart and you know that the life that you're experiencing is not filled with that joy, but you want to learn more about your uh, relationship with God, I'd love to walk with you through that process. So I want to invite you to come down and even if you feel uncomfortable, but you still want to know more information, there's cards in the front uh, of your seats and just grab that. There's a checkbox that says that you know, I want to learn more about my relationship with God. Check that out, fill that out, and then drop that off at the welcome desk. I'd love to follow up with you so that you can continue to take those next steps with the Lord. You know, communion is one way to remember the good work that Jesus did for us. Communion is also a way for us to remember the partnership that he has brought us to. 
Because on the night that he was betrayed, they sat around the table and Jesus began to talk about the fact that now they, they're going to experience something that they needed to continue experience. And that, that experience was called communion. They thought it was Passover, but he's like, no, this is actually communion, mainly because this is going to be done to remember the good work that I'm going to do for you on the cross. And I want to give you an opportunity now to grab your elements if you haven't. I want us to take it together. But I want to first give you an opportunity to just go before the Lord. I mentioned that communion is a remember for is an opportunity for us to remember as partners in Christ. So this is really for sons and daughters of the Most High. That's what communion is about, and that's who it's for. So I want to give you an opportunity first to go before God and just confess anything that maybe you've been struggling with. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So at this time, I want to give you just a moment of silence. And even if you're at home right now, give you a moment of silence just to talk to the Lord. And then we'll take communion together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the good work that you did for us on the cross. We ask that you now would cleanse us of all unrighteousness so that we might take communion worthily. God, we thank you for this as an opportunity for us to remember that you have brought us together in this partnership, this koinonia of fellowship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we ask that you would just be with us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.